just awkward. Yeah. You know, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, right, I agree. <laughs> and when it walks around, it doesn't like the walk. You can tell it's it's even worse. You know, it kind of bobs its head weird, and you're like, man, that thing is weird looking. <laughs> Gruesome. You know? So the, the vulture, it comes from the Latin name of vulturus, which means terror, because it tears through the flesh. This is, yeah, this is something, huh? Five subspecies in the Americas, or the New World, there's... C-A-Ora, and then there's the Chilean turkey vulture, the western turkey vulture, the tropical turkey vulture, and the eastern turkey vulture. But, you know, describing this bird, what's really impressive, and it gets confused for hawks. People don't realize hawks are a lot smaller than the turkey buzzard. Yeah. So, you know, people look up, and, oh, look at that hawk. That's it's a turkey buzzard. It's got a huge wingspan, 63 to 72 inches, or, doing the math, five or six feet long. It's wow. huge. Length is only 24 to 32 inches long, this bird. The weight is only like 1.8 to 5.3 pounds. And northern birds are a little larger, so in our area we're going to have larger ones than, say, down south. Brownish black feathers, you've seen this bird. Uh, the flight feathers are white or silvery gray. I already said it's got a bald red head. It does have bare pinkish legs, but because it urinates or pisses on its legs, it's stained white. That stains them white? Yeah, not. Well, bird poop. Yeah. Are you going to ask why it urinates on its legs, or you just accept that? Sick human. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I mean, deer, deer do it. I mean, most ungulates do it, I guess. Yeah. No, it, apparently it does it to uh, – oh, there's a term for this, John. It's amazing, you know? Uh, I gotta find it. I think it's called urolysis or something. I don't know. Anyway, it cools itself off by urinating on its legs. I have been taught that long ago. I remember. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Um, Where was I? Yeah, it's got a hooked beak for tearing through that flesh. The female and the male are identical. They can't really tell them apart. They're the same weights. They look the same, apparently. Immature birds have a gray head. That's about it. And... And their longevity is, is surprising. Again, another reason to come back as a turkey buzzard in your next life, John. Get ready. So this lucky guy who was in a Minnesota Raptor Center lived to 45 years old. Whoa. That's older than me. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's old for a bird. He was born in the 70s, man. Wow. Hell yeah. Um, but in the wild, the oldest is about 16. Not bad. So that's pretty good for most wild animals. So what? It's killing them then. If it's not predators, you know, something just, usually with something like a really vast difference between their potential and their their average in the wild. I mean, I don't know what the this is the oldest of each. Right, like, so. that's the oldest one. I don't know what the average in captivity is, but I would imagine the one in captivity is just getting fed damn good food all the time, man. Yeah, it's true. Right? I mean, how many turkey buzzards? There's like six behind my house. You know, I mean, how many? I mean, I know there's dead animals, but Jesus, you know. Yeah, not right. that many. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. All right, so distribution and habitat. They cover 11 million square miles. And then there's this black vulture, which we're going to talk about because it looks very similar, but it's a different species. It's not a subspecies. It's a different species. Um, it and the black vulture are the most abundant raptorial bird worldwide. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I do now. 18 million individuals it prefers semi-open areas or edges so you don't it's not to say you don't find them but you just don't find them in solid forest as much contiguous forest probably because they can't 
one, they can't take off very well in trees. Like them taking off is a lot of energy. Yeah. They really don't want to do it. And they use those thermals. So if you got contiguous forest, uh, you know, the thermals arise in open fields. Yeah, you'll see them like on um, exposed uh, cliff faces and stuff because they can take off from there. And I think they can, I don't know, they catch, can see catch better. Catch a thermal there maybe. Yeah, catch a thermal. I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're thinking. So um, prefers, yeah, I already said that, uses hilltops for thermals. Doesn't prefer totally cleared or treeless areas either though. So, you know, I guess they need some roosting areas because okay. they roost at night. They need cover, man. All right. So their ecology and behavior, which is kind of cool. There's certain areas where you find a lot of these things. Like you ever noticed in Margaretville on Route 28, right by the hotel, there's tons of turkey buzzards. I don't know why. Tons of them. Uh, Route 28, that sharp corner coming into Delhi, tons of them there. But that's because it's the the dump site for the, yeah. the DOT. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there's some food source they're picking off of. Because in New Paltz, in the village, there they are again. In Syracuse, I remember the same thing. City of Syracuse. I remember uh, baseball practice uh, in high school. The Legion Fields in Delhi, just soaring, tons of them. I was just staring in the outfield, looking up at them. <laughs> what yeah. else can I do in baseball? Uh, baseball's boring as hell. It sure right? is. You, know? you can count the count the, the buzzards above you. Right, and then you miss the fly ball because you're looking at buzzards. <laughs> roost on standing dead trees or open trees, but it'll also just as easily roost on man-made structures like towers. They Okay, this is another thing that it does that's creepy but really cool. Really cool. Is it does this stance. I got to find. Oh, yeah. There's a sta- there's a term for this. Heraltic stance. It even sounds cool. A heraltic stance is after a rain. And they look like statues. And they're standing on post. At the, uh, my orchard fence, that's eight feet, 12 feet tall. They'll stand out there with their wings open wide like a statue. And they dry off, right? It's really cool. You'll be driving and see this and you'll do a double take. You're like, what the hell is that? You see them on the peaks of old old barns around the Catskills all the time. It's really cool. So after rain, you'll see them doing that spread-winged stance. And the purpose is to dry the feathers, to bake off bacteria because they're filthy, and to warm the body, right? And that term we're talking about to cool itself off by urinating on its legs is called urohydrosis. How about that, John? I mean, next July, you know what? You know what's up? Yeah, but you know another thing that's cool about these birds at night, their body temperature will lower six degrees by becoming hypothermic. What the heck, you know? So I don't know. Um, we'll talk more about the turkey buzzard. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m.
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. That's James. That song laid. That's a quintessential 90s song, man. Oh, man. I haven't heard that probably since the 90s, but <laughs> brought me back. Yeah, I listened to the lyrics, and uh, I had no idea, but whatever. Um, so we're talking about turkey vultures, nature's grim reaper. And so some interesting traits. We talked about the heraldic stance, where it's got its wings spread out wide uh, after a rainstorm. It's pretty cool. You know, it looks like a... Some kind of statue or something. It's got few predators, right? Nothing really kills this thing. Uh, I talked about it's an awkward walker. It hops about really scary-like. To me, it's like the, the quintessential like Halloween animal, man. Like if I had to think of one spooky animal, it's this guy. Hmm. So it's a static soaring flight. Wow, they got terms for everything, man. Static soaring flight. What that means is it flaps its wings infrequently. And takes advantage of thermals and flies effortlessly, which is why I want to come back as a turkey buzzer, man. How cool is that? It is. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, come on. You can just fly around. A lot of birds do that, though. Not not like this guy. Hawks are constantly flapping, burning calories. This guy is just Just just, doing it. Just soaring, man. Just doing it. It's got a huge, it's got a six foot wingspan, you know? It weighs only 1.8 pounds to 5 pounds. It's all wing. You know, it's got a big advantage. All right, so breeding. All right, so breeding is not, it's also creepy. All right, really creepy. There's nothing really normal about this animal. (laughs) So it breeds spring through August, and the courtship is really strange. It's just, this is how they describe it. Several individuals gather in a circle and hop about with wings partially spread. <laughs> it's just freaking weird. Well, I mean, birds are, have the weirdest rituals. All of them do. It's insane. But watch it. This, this bird with a six-foot wingspan hop around <laughs> is not, is not, is just strange. You said they're not such sexually dimorphic. They're the same. They the same. So you don't know what's going on. Yeah, okay. Um, apparently they do because otherwise the, the species would go away. The female lays eggs on a bare surface. Example, a cliff face, rock crevice, rock crevice, or hollow tree. So it does not make a nest. It does not make a nest. Hmm. This is the, maybe the only normal thing it does, which is kind of surprising. Because like a bear, right, it'll 
you know, breed with another female bear, right? And then it potentially could eat its young later on, right? Yeah. And you're like, wow, it's pretty heartless. But the turkey buzzard, which looks really spooky, it's like the serial killer of the animals, right? It's a grim reaper. That's the name of the show. This guy, both male and female, incubate and remain together until fall. So he's monogamous. <laughs> you believe this? <laughs> After all that creepiness, it stays with her uh-huh. and even helps. Good. I'm just saying. That's good. Say there's all sorts, but I don't you know. did not know this, this show was going to be that interesting. Are they you? putting uh, GPS transmitters on these guys yet? Because they only <laughs> say that when they started doing that with uh, with waterfowl. Yeah. The next greatest term came around was well, I don't know if it's great, but next term that wildlife people made up was extraparic copulations. I don't even know what that means. Think about it. Okay, they're so not it's cheating. They're not monogamous. The that male male pair copulation. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. So even though they're helping out and they're you know sit on the nest with the female, they're they're, right. they're still doing it. But so. he could still be extramarital copulating and not helping out. Come no, on, good, good for him. I'm just saying. A lot of birds. <laughs> once the GPS collars came around, we learned a lot about this. <laughs> <laughs> but. I mean, yeah, so that, that could be. But, you know, they don't build a nest, so it's not like he's providing anything. I mean, some of these other birds, you could say, well, at least he's leaving the nest and getting stuff. This right. guy's like, I'm listening. I'm not going to pay rent. I'm not going to do anything, but I'll I'll well, sit on the egg. I'll sit here. I'm not going to build any kind of nest, though. <laughs> so, all right, so there is that. Feeding. It feeds on recently dead animals. It does not kill animals itself rarely. It has a great sense of smell, unlike other birds. And it flies snow, sniffing for ethyl mercaptan, which is the smell of decay. So when someone says it smells like death, it's ethyl mercaptan. Yeah. Uh, Just imagine the guy in the lab that day. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. That smells like death. (laughs) No, that's ethyl mercaptan. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but mutual benefit. Okay. So there's other birds who hitchhike on... On the buzzards. Because, listen, other birds can't smell. So the hawks and condors, like out west, the condors, California and stuff, yeah. falcons. They can't smell? They can't smell. Well, so no they're, wonder they're having problems. Yeah. That's why, that's why this condor <laughs> is, is, is going extinct. But but if it knew more, it would follow around the buzzards because the buzzards got the goods. Uh-huh. They can smell. So they find the dead animals. The condors and hawks are like, all right, we found them. They follow the, the vulture to find where the dead animals are. But, you know, the vulture is benefiting as well, hence mutual benefit, because it can't tear through hide as well as these other birds. So the condors come in, they tear open the flesh, and then when they're done eating, now the now the uh, buzzards can rip through the ah, easier flesh. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, apparently their beaks are not equipped as well, which makes sense, because, I mean, these guys got to – they got to do like air, – Aerobrat, acrobatic uh, aeronautics or whatever to take you know animals out of flight, so they gotta have a good beak, you know? right, right? Right? I don't know, peregrine falcons and stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, um, but many of these hawks, falcons, they dominate or scare off vultures. Like I said, they're very um, they they'll dive bomb at them. It scares the crap out of them, even though they're like a quarter of their size. But they're very squeamish. They're very intimidated. I find. So, yeah, lookalikes. There's the black vulture. Yes, I was wondering if you came across the black vulture in your research. Apparently, in the mid, they're, they're mainly found from the mid-Atlantic and south, so they might overlap in our area. They do. Um, I've seen them in the southern Hudson Valley, but 
abundant once you get down anywhere south of here. But like when I went to Florida a few years ago, they were everywhere. Right. Yeah. Okay. This makes sense. So this would be Cathartes astratus, not Cathartes aura, which is the turkey buzzard. So it is a different species. It's not a subspecies. Uh, it's really hard to tell them apart. I think stubbier wings. Stubbier wings? Stubbier wings. They're not those big, long, broad wings. A little bit stubbier and fatter. Okay. So I didn't have that down. And I, Yeah, I think you're right. And also has a gray or darker head. No red. No red, right. So that, that also is a good thing to look for. Yeah, that's the black vulture. I've seen these guys because I've, I've, I remember taking double takes and being like, that thing looked different. Yeah, you get into the Hudson Valley, you'll, you'll find one. Yeah. Growing up in New Paltz, I probably saw a lot of black vultures and didn't know it. Didn't, had no idea. Yeah, you, you and I saw them one day working. I can't remember. I shouldn't have even brought it up because I can't remember where exactly. But there was right. a deer carcass in the in the road, and yeah. uh, there was like six or seven of them. Maybe you can remember. Six or seven of them. And they, unlike the turkey vultures, weren't very skittish. They wouldn't get out of our way. wouldn't get out of the road. They were kind of okay. hopping around in the ditch, would kind of move for the truck, but wasn't, weren't going to fly away. Well, that's good segue, John. Nice. So it just so happens that they outcompete turkey vultures because it forages in larger groups. Mm. Man, this show is flowing. <laughs> Am I right? That's right. All right. So, uh, yeah, it lays eggs. The black vulture lays eggs within three feet of the ground, So and it makes a nest. Um, like we said, the turkey buzzard does not make a nest. And the black vulture's a little weird. Didn't we talk about a different animal that does this? Oh, yeah. It was the, um, not the weasel. Oh, man. Oh, wood rat. Yeah, the wood rat does this, too. It decorates its nest with plastic, glass, garbage, like ornaments almost. It's just weird. Yeah, the wood rat does that. Hmm. Shiny stuff, garbage, you know, whatever it can find. So. Plastic's good for something in the I, end wild. Yeah, all these people complain about plastic, but the wood rat's like... Where would they be we, without us? If we didn't have humans, we would not have plastic. I think George Carlin talked about that. So, the relationship to humans? Um, okay, so how, how have humans and the turkey buzzard come together? Well, it's protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, so you cannot kill, take, or possess any part of the vulture. I don't know why you'd want to. I'm, you know, I'm not looking to eat one. You probably wouldn't want to touch its feathers because it's loaded with bacteria. Really? I could it, it imagine. It tears through dead animals. It sticks, it sticks its head in the guts of a deer, I guess, yeah. And, you know, the feathers kind of look like a turkey. So when you pick up a turkey feather, you, you want to make sure it's not a buzzard. Huh, okay. I would imagine a turkey is much cleaner than a turkey buzzard, considering that the turkey just forages on insects and acorns and whatnot. Yeah. Dust bathe every day. Yeah, the turkey like buzzard's a chicken. not doing that. It's probably why it has a bald head. Well, so does the turkey, though, too. No, not going to go with that. Anyway, if you do, for some reason, want to take a part of this because it's illegal, uh, it's a $100,000 fine for an individual, $200,000 for an organization. I did not know this. Wow, that's that's steep for a wildlife fine. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah, <probably> I mean... <laughs> What the heck? Uh, there's people that I, I don't know. It's like a big debate in the, you know, the hunting community. It's like, well, what's a buck worth if someone goes and poaches a deer? Right. Like a lot of times, like you can you can get caught speeding 
on the way home from jacking that deer and get a stiffer find yeah. than you're going to get for killing. It's, it's terrible. There's, there really is a problem there. But $100,000, yeah, that's the other direction. That's that's a lot. Hundred, yeah, you're done. Like, So we're going to fine you more than your salary? Right, right. <laughs> it's just like, all right. Like more than some people's mortgages? It sounds like cruel and unusual punishment, but whatever. I digress. Provides a valuable ecological service. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there'd be a lot more dead animals around. It controls dead animals. And because it has, as John talked about, it, it when it gets agitated at predators or something scary, it will vomit at it. Well, that vomit has strong stomach acids and which destroy diseases like rabies, botulism, and cholera. So how about that? So it doesn't get, that's how it doesn't get sick from what it eats, then. Because its stomach acids are so disgusting. Maybe it just craves a tum every now and then. You almost want to know what that stomach acid is like. like it might be similar to ours, but just like extra strength. Like what's the deal with that? Someone probably studies that. Sure. Some poor, poor, poor guy. Some weirdo. <laughs> what do you do? I study uh, turkey buzzard stomach acid. All right. It cleans up my dead deer parts. So when I'm dumping, uh, you know, the torso and stuff back there, they're always happy. They, they love me. So they're back there feeding on it, and uh, they clean it up. They do a good job, I got to say. Uh, they roost in large dying red oak tree behind my house. I got a spooky old oak tree that was once upon a time in the pasture alone. So it's got these really wide spreading branches because it had full sunlight at one time. And uh, they love roosting in that. So they're pretty cool to see. I like seeing them. Very squeamish at my approach. Like I said, as soon as I go to walk down there, they just fly away, which, you know, we learned before it takes a lot of energy for them to take off, so I'm surprised they do this. Most people seem to confuse them with hawks. I was listening to a guy in the radio the other day, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'd like to be a hawk, you know, and just not flap my wings and spread it on like he's talking about a buzzard. Damn, buzzards are getting a bad rap, you know. <laughs> he's talking about a turkey buzzard, stealing their thunder. I feel like they get mixed up with the eagles a ton. Yeah, I've seen people been with. How many people you been with? They're pointing one, pointing at one down the river valley or something. That's eagle, probably true eagle, now, eagle, and it's it's clearly a, not an eagle. Yeah, that's probably true now because there's actually eagles out there now. Right. Whereas when I was growing up, like there was not. You know, if you saw a bald eagle, it was a big deal. Yeah, I know. Hanging out with older people, they still act like it. You know, like, eagle, eagle. They stop the conversation. Stop whatever they're doing. Pull over. Here we go. Get the camera out. <laughs> I told you this once before, but the best time. <laughs> Best example of that was another baseball game. Right? This is probably the most memorable part of a baseball. <laughs> the yeah. umpire. Umpire stops the game. Mid like the pitcher's about to pitch. <laughs> yeah. Stops the game and just points. Eagle, eagle, eagle. Here we go. We got a live one here. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's entertaining. Well, at least he's into it, I guess. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven PM. Tonight's topic is, believe it or not, turkey vultures, nature's grim reaper.
it's a, uh, I guess you know what it is. It's called Hang On Sloopy. I say it about a million times. Uh, this is from the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. And uh, tonight's topic was the turkey vulture, nature's grim reaper. Got about uh, two minutes. You have something, John? Oh, so um, a member of the Casco Forest Association wrote in to me, wanted to talk, tell a story about a turkey buzzard. Wish he was here to tell it, but I guess uh, he had one arrive at his house in Brooklyn or his apartment or whatever. Um, I think he's in Brooklyn. Anyway, New York City area. Mm-hmm. And um, called animal control. It was going to be like two days before they arrived. So he uh, fed it, fed it meat. <laughs> Went to the store, and kept it alive, fed it meat. Um, Teta was remarkable. To he gained a lot of appreciation for Are the, you kidding that, me? that species of how, bird. How long? Like a couple of days until couple, they came. Couple of days. He said every day it looked better and better and better. And one day, it, he walked out to feed it again. And it was sitting on his his. Uh, I don't know if it was the porch or the fence or whatever. It was upright and on a on a structure. And a couple hours later, it flew off. So. He said everybody around, his neighbors, no one knew what it was. Really? What bird is that, they said. No kidding. And uh, he said, what's the chances that, because him knowing and loving you know, nature so much, beating the cat skills, knew exactly what it was, and it happened to him and down in New York. I feel like that's got to be really rare. I had never heard anything like I that. Mean, I've never heard of that. Or someone fed it, but that's cool. Yeah. I mean, there's millions of people there, too, so it would be the one chosen. He was the chosen one. By this yeah. turkey vulture. So, Sandy, you're the one. Yeah. He's listening. I know he Maybe is. it'll come back someday as, and do a heraldic stance after a rainstorm so, near him. So, Sandy, maybe uh, this is your spirit animal like Ryan's, your reincarnated <laughs> spirit animal to come. <laughs> I didn't say it was my spirit animal. I said I wanted to be it reincarnated. Oh, oh that's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a cool animal, man. I mean, it gets to ride the thermals, and uh, I don't know. I've always liked it, but... um. That's all we got on From the Forest. And up next is uh, Hoppy Quick. And have a good night. Good night, right. everyone. Take care. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. Then the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend And the old man stumbled in from the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase the old man made his way His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool In the forest And as he lay there sleeping A vision did appear Upon his mantle shining The face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the 
WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Sweet Pea Supply Company in the hamlet of Halkettsville for fresh-made baked goods, prepared dishes, and Jane's ice cream. A general store with an international selection of chocolates, condiments, and gifts. Open Thursday through Monday, 11 to 7. Sweet Pea Supply Company, Bragg Hollow Road, Halkettsville, 607-326-6776. 607-326-6776. Weekly specials posted at SweetPeaSupplyCo.com. Diamond Hollow Books on Main Street in Andes for secondhand vintage and new books. Specializing in literature, the arts, Dante, mycology, and Emily Dickinson. Children's books and stationery. And Diamond Hollow also purchases used books. Open Thursday through Sunday, 10 to 5, by appointment or anytime the front door is open. Upstairs at 72 Main Street, Andes. Readings, book signings, and event schedule at diamondhollowbooks.com. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. Hi, I'm Kent Garrett. Get to know the last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard class of 1963. We were born in the 1940s. We have survived Jim Crow, the civil rights struggle, the Vietnam War, the war on drugs, the war on terror, the war on poverty, the age of Obama, and now the age of Trump. Join us on Thursdays at 9 a.m. WIOX Roxbury Community Radio in the Catskills at 91.3 FM and on MTC Channel 20 and for the rest of the world at WIOXradio.org or just tell your smart device to play WIOX.
You're at WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable TV, Channel 20, on the campus of SUNY Delhi at 107.5 FM, worldwide at WIOXradio.org, and on any mobile device, Radio FM app. It's Catskill People, and I'm your host, Hoppy Quick. Um, sorry about last week. I got tangled up with work, and um, also... Uh, Tonight's show is about my friend Janet Nelson, who passed away last week. Um, Janet was a very special person in my life. And so uh, this show is about Catskill people, uh, those that have passed and those that are still here. So tonight I'm going to dedicate this show to Janet. Um, I was driving across the uh, Hudson River last week and... uh, I was got a ping on my phone, and I saw that uh, somebody had sent me a message that Janet had passed. And um, I'll tell you a bit about Janet um, in a bit, but uh, I'm going to start with this story about uh, crossing the river because uh, I'm, I'm a believer in magic and um, symbols and stuff like that, and uh, I pay a lot of attention to different things in nature. And uh, I'm crossing the Hudson River, and there's no place to pull over. And I'm looking uh, to the east side, the Dutchess County side, and uh, I see these rain clouds, you know, these really dark gray rain clouds. And, um, you know, the, t- the sunset is uh, leaving some, some, some pinks and some oranges and some reds on the sides of the clouds. And out of the center of the cloud, you know how sometimes you get a beam of light. Uh, it was a beam of rainbow. It was a rainbow coming out, and in that moment after hearing about Janet, I knew that Janet was uh, showing up as this rainbow, which was, she was bigger than life and and full of energy and a very positive person. Um, So uh, I knew in that moment that Janet was rainbow. No place to pull over on the the Rhinecliff Bridge, but I, I got to the other side and I pulled over and I tried to run back to the middle of the bridge to catch it and I just couldn't it was you know it had been it had gone it was only there for a moment and it was in that moment that I found out about her passing so uh rainbows you know I'm going to talk about Janet but also um it made me think of my friend Marion whose son had passed away uh when he was like I believe 16 a long time ago um I coached volleyball and it was connected to Janet. Uh, I coached Janet's daughter uh, from seventh grade up to senior. And um, I had a JV coach when I took over varsity. Her name was Marion, and her son had passed in a car crash. And we were riding one time in the bus to a game, and I was talking about animal spirits, and I was talking about signs in nature uh, when spirit is, is with you. And uh, she said, you know, whenever I think of my son, I, I, I see a rainbow. And uh, so I was thinking about Janet on that river crossing, and I also was thinking about Marion and her son. Because at the same time, um, I was doing a trip to Ireland. And um, Marion approached me and said, hey, hey, Hoppy, um, could uh, my son was so young when he passed, uh, I, I saved some ashes, so when I have a friend that's traveling somewhere on the, on the planet, I like to have them find an appropriate place 
to uh, to let my son's ashes out and and would you take him to Ireland? And I said, yeah. So I um, I uh, took him in my pack and you know, and I knew somehow some somehow it had to be, I guess. Uh, for some reason, I had in my head that the Cliffs of Moher in Ireland was where I was gonna, I was gonna let his uh, ashes to the wind, and um, you know I got I got to Ireland and I met some people and I was on the uh, the the uh, East Coast by Dublin and heading across to the West Coast to Galway and then down to the Cliffs of Moher and I met a couple friends that traveled with me and. Um, I told him the story about my friend Marion and her son, and I I wanted to go to the cliffs some more. And so we left Galway and we headed down, and um, we were looking for a hostel. And their their closest closest hostel to the cliffs of Moore was a uh, they called the Rainbow Hostel, and there was a big rainbow painted on the side of it. And uh, we thought how how appropriate that was, and just wow, just symbolic, you know. So, uh, you know, the next day we went out, uh, went to the cliffs, and um, two girls that would travel with me, my friends Sonia and Emer, um, the wind was blowing so hard that any runoff of rain or water from the fields was hitting the edge of the cliff and then going up into the air and not down over the edge. And it was uh, a beautiful rainbow, sheet of rainbow. And they said, Hoppy, you know, now it's... So I, uh, long story short, I have this beautiful photo of Meath releasing this young man's ashes into a rainbow to give to his mother when I got back. Marion and um, Janet knew each other. They played in the women's softball league down in my town, Olive. And um, also the, the volleyball, we were there. Uh, Marion was the JV coach. I was the varsity coach. And... and Janet's daughters were on the teams. So uh, that was back in, in 2000. Uh, and uh, it was just um, an amazing, amazing uh, trip to Ireland. And uh, so Janet, Janet, um, you know, we coached the kids. And um, I'll get to Janet now. Um, we were friends, we were, you know, old friends. And I only coached till that year that I went to Ireland, and then I didn't coach anymore. So I'm going to speed ahead now, many years. And the reason why um, I'm talking about Janet tonight is because, uh, like I said, I believe in magic, and I believe in, um, um, you know, having trusting in the universe, you know, uh, to, to to get you what you need. And... Um, and these connections that we have with people who, who you know, you know, at different times in our life, um, when we're having some bad times, um, different people can be like angels, you know. And um, Janet was mine. You know, I was about two, 2015, uh, the end of 2015, and um, my my. Uh, wife and I had been split up, and uh, my kids were now living with their mom. And um, we, uh, I was, uh, you know, I loved being a dad, and I just missed my children so bad. And they only lived right down the road, but, um, you know, I, I had a rough time. And uh, I went, 
I went through a winter where I was really, really depressed and um, suffering, you know, somewhat. And um, oh, this is going back, but it's a story I really want to tell because uh, it was uh, Janet. Janet really did uh, do an amazing thing. So, um, like I said, I was not in a good place, but I was also uh, a person that was very optimistic. I wasn't a pessimist. Um, I needed a change in my life, in my world. You know, my, my ex and I had split up and she had done what she had to do because she needed a change in her life. And, you know, you know, the kids get caught up in it and you try to make it as, uh, as, as good as you can for the kids, you know. And so uh, this is really hard to talk about, uh, but I really want to share the story. Yeah, uh, I had decided to um, what I call an, uh, an optimistic suicide, which was to have a major shift in my life, a change that was a positive one of something that I wanted to do. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, in bad cir in circumstances like that, we can, some people can go to an extreme in the other way. And um, I chose to go in a, in a different route, which was, you know, what did I want to do in my life? And I had a dream of, uh, of, of getting a bus and creating it into a tiny house and, and maybe being a, uh, a wanderer for a little bit and being that bohemian person that I believed I was. And I thought that would give me some kind of joy you know, and so I talked to my kids and I said, Hey, you know, I got the house here and the property and it's really sad because, and they're like, yeah, dad, we don't, you know, we don't want to come down either. Cause it's, it's sad. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm living here in the memories and it's, it's rough. So, um, they go, what do you want to do? And, uh, you know, I said, I, I want to, I want to get a bus and I want to make it into a little, a little tiny house, you know? And, so my kids said, Dad, you should do what, do what feels right, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, do you guys want the house? You know, does your mom want the house? And um, uh, She didn't want it. Nobody was interested in it. So um, I stepped off that ledge, you know, and I, I let the house go. And I went looking for the bus. And uh, so I went looking through. Uh, I had a little bit of money, but not a lot. And... Um, getting ahead of myself on my story but um um i went looking through craigslist and i went looking through different you know the one ad digest and i was looking for a bus i figure i could probably pick one up you know for uh you know a couple thousand bucks you know something 1980 something and as i'm going through craigslist um i see this 1952 ford f6 vintage school bus and uh, way more money than I could afford to pay and uh, I was like wow that would be my dream bus well wouldn't it be cool to try to fix something like that up I never imagined a bus like that would be uh, would be available at the time that I'm looking for a bus and uh, you know I hadn't coached um, volleyball or seen Janet and you know 
you know, you know, we live in the same town, so you bump into one another once in a while. But mostly, you know, we hadn't been around each other because uh, I stopped coaching in 2000, and now it's like 2015. So um, many years had gone by. So uh, I uh, took the picture from Craigslist, and I put it on my Facebook page and said, if I've acquired any spiritual power in my life, I need to manifest this. And um, I went to bed. And, uh, you know, next morning got up, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock, went down to the, the computer and I turned on the, um, turned it on and there's bloom, bloop, you know. A message from Janet Nelson. How much is the bus? I said, the bus is $6,000. My mother has passed away, she said. And I would like, in memory of my mother, to buy that bus for you. You know, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's too much, you know. Immediately, I'm, I'm saying no. It's too much. And... Bloop, another message pops up, and it's my friend Jack, who's a um, rat rod builder, you know, works with flatheads and works with old Fords. And he said, what's the story with the bus? So I tell him what's happening with the bus, and I have Jack and Janet on it, you know, in message, Messenger. And uh, Jack says, I want to fix the bus, and I don't want any money. And so I'm like, whoa, this is like too, too wild, you know? So I call my mother up. And I said, Mom, this just happened. And she said, I saw your post. I saw your post, Hoppy. And, you know, my mother's a, a religious lady. You know, she's a spiritual lady. And, you know, we have different beliefs, but, you know, in her way, she said, you know, when you ask God to answer a prayer, you can't, you can't tell God how to do it. It just comes. She said, I saw your post, and you said if... If you have acquired any spiritual power, you need to manifest this. And it's manifesting itself. So you have to surrender to that. You have to surrender to this moment because it's happening. The universe is speaking to me. And so whew, Janet was in Sarasota, Florida, visiting uh, down, uh, down on the beach. She loved the sun. You know, uh, Janet was a California girl. You know, she lived in Southern Cal. I think uh, around uh, Manhattan Beach, her mother, his mother's, her mother's name was Donna Grace, and she had a uh, restaurant on Manhattan Beach, I believe. And she also had a, her grandmother, also named Donna Grace, had a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard way back, you know, 1930s or 40s. So, you know, Janet was this, like I said, you know, just do it. Just go do it. Don't question it. Just go do it. She said, I will be back up uh, Friday from Florida. My mother uh, has left me this money, and she would really love to know that there's some crazy artist building a crazy, cool bus in her memory. So uh, I was like, okay, you know. So here's where the, the serendipity all comes in, all of the stuff that, you know, comes with a bus, you know. It's like crazy, this this dream of a bus. And um, 
She says, call the man who has the bus and tell him if he can hold it till next Saturday and I'll meet you on Friday. And I said, all right. So I did. A nice man. And um, Friday I meet Janet at a coffee shop across from where she does her banking and, and she's got a trust fund set up with this money so she can help people. That was what she told me. She, she wanted to help people. She helped more than just me. So when I meet her at the coffee, she said, she says, Hoppy, she says, um, I got back from Florida and there's this envelope in the mail and, you know, my mother's estate had all been taken care of, but there's this check. She said, there's this found money out of the blue. And she says, the check is for $6,700. And she says, uh, I'm going to cash this check and give you this, this whole amount. And I said, well, I don't need that bus doesn't cost that much she said no this is from my mother and my grandmother and and I want and, it, and it's just so funny that when I got back it was waiting there for me and I was coming to see you so she walks across the street with me and she cashes this and she gives me this money the next day I drive to Connecticut to meet the man with the bus and uh, He said it was a 1952 Ford, and I said, that's so funny. I was, if it was 1951, that was the year Janet was born. It would be so funny if it was just about around the same year of her birth. And so uh, I sit down with him. I look at the bus. I love it. It's, I mean, I'm not questioning it. This is something that is in the universe is setting up. Uh, I'm not questioning anything. I'm not haggling. I sit down. I give him the, the money for the bus, and he says, well, you have to pay $200 for storage for the month. And I said, okay. And he says, and then I have a, a, a fellow with a long trailer that will haul the bus to your hot rod guy, Jack, for $500. The total amount of the whole thing was $6,700, exactly what the check was for. Uh, blew my mind. And then he hands me the registration to the bus. And it says on it's a 1951 Ford. And I said, I thought you said it was a 52. He goes, I thought it was a 52. I said, on the registration, it says it's a 51. And he goes, and that's what it is. And I said, that's so funny. That's, I said, that's Janet's birth year. The woman. And I told him the story, and he was just blown away by the whole thing, too. If you're... Just listening, this is WIOX. This is Catskill People with Hoppy Quick, and I'm talking about my friend Janet Nelson, who passed away last last Monday, last Monday of last week, telling the story of my magic bus.
Listen to WIOX Radio in Roxbury. My name is Hoppy Quick. This is Catskill People. My guest tonight is in spirit. 